0: Welcome back, one and all, to the Religious Studies Project. And as ever, we're your hosts, myself, David Robertson. And myself, Christopher Cotter. And his self, Christopher Cotter, is bringing you this week's interview, or rather, a roundtable discussion on the subject of AI and religion. And with the subtitle, an initial conversation, because this is really sketching out some of the possible avenues for exploration, which we'll be investigating in more depth further down the line. But more about that afterwards. But here, speaking to Chris, we have Beth Singler, Jonathan Tuckett, Michael Morelli, and Vivian Asimos. So take it away, gang.
1: Welcome to the University of Wolverhampton for a annual British Association for the Study of Religion's roundtable improvisation session. I am Christopher <laughs> Carter. Um and i'm joined by Jonathan Beth Michael and Vivian and today we're going to be well they're going to be discussing i'm going to be moderating and keeping them to time going to be discussing the broad and interesting topic of religion and artificial intelligence or ai as i'm sure we'll say throughout the interview but before before this gets started maybe if everyone could just go around say who you are what you do why you're involved in this
2: discussion and then we'll
1: uh, we'll get cracking
2: uh, yeah, hello, um, I'm Jonathan Tuckett. Um, it's been a while since I've actually spoken for the Religious Studies Project. Can I, can I nick Kevin's moniker of the Religious Studies Regular? Go for it. Yeah, I am I am the Religious Studies Regular, <laughs> because that's a much better thing to say than Number my two. non-academic affiliation.
3: <laughs> and
2: why are you talking to religion and AI? Why am I talking to religion and AI? Because uh, my interest is in philosophical anthropology and all about what we count as persons. Okay,
3: Beth? I'm Beth Singler. I'm a research associate at the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion. I'm working specifically on a project about artificial intelligence and robotics, nearly, uh, sorry, human identity in an age of nearly human machines. So that's an interesting title. We can discuss that if people want to. Um, and I'm discussing this because this is my postdoc and I'm fascinated by the subject. Wonderful.
4: Okay. Uh, I'm Vivian Asimos. I'm a PhD student at Durham University, and I study online communities uh, with a bit of a dabble in video games.
5: All right. That'll so be some interesting dynamics. And, and Michael? <laughs> yeah, my name is Michael Morelli. I am a PhD student at University of Aberdeen, and I am studying theological ethics. And I'm in particular, I'm researching uh, digital technology. And so... I like to bring theological ethical discussion into any uh, subject, phenomena, movement <clears throat> that involves technological innovation or advancement, and say what's going on here. Um, what are what are the ethical issues or questions, and and can we bring uh, theology to bear on 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 the discussion at hand, whatever that, that is. So wonderful.
2: Yeah. Um, just before we get to the obvious question. Uh, actually i 'd like Beth to say a little bit more about the Faraday Institute just because we are right. we have been brought here together today because of Beth. Beth has brought this group of <laughs> scholars together. Lay so, the blame.
3: So, yeah, lay the blame. <laughs> yeah, so put, put everyone together for a panel at the BASR conference on AI and religion. Um, so the Faraday Institute is a place where conversations can happen about the relationship between science and religion. At the moment, we have one overarching project on the subject of human flourishing. And within that are six sub-projects, of which mine is just one and the others I won't go into. But if you're interested, you can find one. very they are very interesting. Okay, we've got things like MRI scans, we've got two-dimensional objects, we've got uh, Islamic scholarship. Yeah, there's there's a vast variety of things going on, and you can check that out on their website. Um, But my particular project is this question of what does it mean to be human in an age of nearly human machines? What do developments and advances in technology around artificial intelligence and robotics impact on our understanding of what a person is, Jonathan's? Looking at what a person is, um, and how do we go forward in a world that is potentially changing in these directions? Wonderful.
1: Just gonna brief pause, pick it up because I just wanted to see how much time is remaining, which I cannot see. Ugh. This yeah. is. This would Take be minutes. if. We, if <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. 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 Short,
3: short, but sweet. short, but sweet. Just mm. a minute version of talking about AI.
1: I am genuinely sorry. No, no it's um,
3: no repetitions, hesitations.
1: Okay, forty-seven minutes. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. we're fine, game. and so we'll we have to finish. Definitely by eleven. Yeah. Are you keeping, right, an down there? Um, keeping an eye on time? I'm keeping an eye on time. It was quarter past we started, um, and I'll try and police people coming in. Wonderful. So I'm gonna. Probably have to do a little bit of policing because we're recording this a little bit on the fly so there'll be people coming in and out of the room so apologies to the listeners for um, any inevitable um, interruptions from people picking up their bags um, <laughs> just to kick off then why? why
4: why why
1: why why am i
2: here why are people listening <laughs> Wow, going straight for the
3: existential yeah,
5: questions. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, well, I feel like uh, me and uh, Michael uh, should be uh, handling
2: uh, that one. You, can, you two yeah. can handle like the robot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, who wants to go? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, go ahead,
3: go. Uh, uh because increasingly the uh the advances in this sort of technology and the amount of money going into these fields means that they are going to be more ubiquitous. We might not always have the kind of dystopian future that science fiction talks about where it's really obvious where the artificial intelligence or the robots are, but it's going to Become a part of our day to day lives and part of our uh, rest of our day to day life is also our religious conceptions of the world. Um, and the kind of work that most of us do is considering, um, how people create religious narratives, how they describe the world in a religious way. And I think my interest is that intermingling of science and technology into those narratives. So I'm still looking partially at what you might call new religious movements, whether they are described as that or not.
5: Well, well I, th- I, th- I, yeah, think but- I think another – to answer the question why, I think a lot of people have heard the term AI, artificial intelligence used, but it's very difficult to separate the truths from the fictions. And mm-hmm. I think that it's in some ways a very exaggerated uh, sort of discussion field insofar as when people think AI, they probably tend to have – images that are more popular cultural mm. come yeah, like up in their mind. The Matrix. Yeah. Or like, uh, well,
3: every single newspaper article has a picture from the Terminator films.
5: Yeah, <laughs> like every, right. Almost every single right. one. I've got a so, collection of them. Exactly. And so, <laughs> I, I mean, people. and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, this is mm-hmm. what science fiction does is it, it brings ideas about science and technological innovation and what have you uh, into the broader cultural field to generate awareness and sort of artistically or philosophically explore what the future is going to look like if we have, say, for example, intelligent mm. robots. Uh, but the problem with that is sometimes it's very exaggerated. So I think basically part of the reason why there is a lot of research going into this is to say, actually, uh, how close are we? first off, to developing uh, intelligent robots. And secondly, if we are very close or wherever we're at in terms of our being close to it, is this preferable? Mm-hmm. And uh, if it is preferable, sort of what parameters do we set? What boundaries do we set uh, for it? it? And then it, so it just brings up a whole lot of questions once you establish sort of the nuts and bolts of where we're at. It's where could this go if, if we are, in fact, getting close to it and it seems that we are um i just saw an article about lowes hardware store is planning on um introducing intelligent robots into their hardware stores mm. well yeah
4: if I can provide another example for that and, and the kind of where we're kind of at with technology at the moment is self-driving cars. Yeah. And the extent where we're at is self-driving cars and there's recently been uh, issues with programming mm. and questions of programming morality into the self-driving cars of, in the case of a brake failure, for instance, how do you program the car to choose, mm. say, one life over another, um, mm. in order to, to kind of program basically morality into AI.
2: I'm in a blind bite. What's the name of that robot? The Microsoft bot. Tay. Tay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because the the other point to add on that is that bots are a lot more ubiquitous in our society than we actually realize. I mean, mm. the most obvious example most people bring to mind is Tay and the mm. fact that it became a neo Nazi slurrer within about five minutes of its existence. Uh, uh. But, um, I mean, what most people don't regularly realize, particularly online communities, is that there are bots inserted into those communities into Mm. chat rooms Mm. and they they respond to real users in and they are there for administrators to steer the conversation and a lot of these users are not then aware that they are in fact interacting with a bot Has, has the bot then passed the turing test
3: well, yeah, but what does the Turing test really do? I mean, this is one of my bugbears. Everyone just goes, it proves intelligence. No, it doesn't. It's about passing and appearing to be something else. Mm. And, uh, yeah, there's several issues around that culturally with what Turing was originally trying yeah. to set up. And I think what's really interesting about Tay, and this is my social anthropologist head on, that it was bad material in bad data in bad data out that it, they chose to choose Tay's vocab measure by what people were tweeting to it. Mm. So the human element, and in algorithms has been evidence that some algorithms written with a certain level of machine learning have implicit biases in them from their programmers. Um, and there's been a few cases of adverts being inappropriately placed next to images of people on things like Facebook. Um, so not forgetting, although we're talking about artificial intelligence and robotics, that the human element is going to drive a lot of this and our reactions to those things as well.
1: Hmm. So one angle to go down would be um, if artificial intelligence, you know, if it's truly, could uh, an AI have religion?
3: Yeah. yeah, that was a question. In Battlestar Galactica. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> Are they going to be monotheists? Are they going to be polytheists? So, you know, it is an interesting question. And the question of whether religions would accept AI on robots that claim to have religion, would you baptize a robot was a question that came up mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And someone suggested, well, yeah, as long as they're waterproof. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's Should the main be ideological impediment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Or so, I think someone else said, as long as they ask nicely. Uh, Yeah, there's certainly a question. Where do non-human others fit into broader understandings of the world? Well,
2: I I think part of my premise would be that there is a certain Euro-Christocentric kind of bias into that consideration. Because, I mean, when we get outside of the European context, what we consider to be a person is a much more malleable Mm. concept. And then you Mm -hmm. have groups for which personhood extends already extends beyond the human realm yeah. and then you have groups for which it's the converse in which not all humans get to be persons I mean even yeah. even even in Europe ironically enough in the ancient Greeks who we like to peg as the source of our entire culture used to make a distinction between Archimee and Bar- barbaria mm. and it was so basically if you're if you' were born in Greece you're a uh, you're a person if you're born out of Greece no, no. <laughs> you're not a person we can do what we want to you mm. um,
3: I mean, there, there was relatively recently a move in EU legislation to recognize uh, robots as uh, electronic persons, partly because of the move towards automation and in uh, working employment legislation, how would we interact with these things? We need a way to describe them when we're actually in competition with them. But that could arguably be a first step mm. to a separate legal status for the artificial person, whatever you want to
1: call uh, typical brussels red tape
3: <laughs>
0: Well, how long have we got left
3: <laughs> <laughs> if we want to get onto the questions around brexit what happens oh, when no. some okay we're not going to go all that way but some states recognize robots or artificial intelligences in a particular way and other states or places don't mm. well, what kind of situation are we moving towards if we suggest intelligence for these these beings um, and yet we expect them to do all our work. Mm-hmm. I mean... we own them. We own either. them. Yeah. That, historically, is quite problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that needs thinking about as well. I mean, I love Star Wars to death, but it's very problematic in the buying and selling of intelligent beings. Mm-hmm. Droids.
1: To bring in maybe a sort of interesting test environment for this would be the online environment. <laughs> um, maybe to, to draw Vivian in. Um, yeah, I will you've got that situation, we've already been discussing bots, you know, interacting with people. So, so is there anything?
4: Yeah, experience? well, the, the online environment is already a very interesting one because of the level of anonymity that the human uh is provided, because I'm not going to go into the level of person to, to step on anybody's toes. When we talk about that human element, um, and we kind of see this present in a lot of uh new kind of ad campaigns almost where people are trying to appeal to the internet and saying, oh, you can name this thing. And we have things like Bodie McBoatface and Hitler being named as things. And, you know, the um, the bot where it learned from people tweeting at it, picking up on uh, basically becoming a Nazi because people thought it would be funny to do that. Um, but there's a certain level of anonymity and uh, it becomes a problem when people start studying the online environment because they assume that the level of anonymity means that people will automatically – kind of not be true to themselves, but we find that to actually be the opposite. So there's been studies that proved that people um, online actually are more of their true selves than they are in the offline environment, Mm. which then when we take into account the uh, discussions with bots kind of brings a lot of Mm. questions there as well, people being almost completely their true selves in relation to an AI.
2: Does this mean that the bot... Is the authentic self.
4: <laughs> <do you> Maybe <laughs> the nice. bot itself is being the authentic self. <laughs> yeah.
5: Well, as, uh, to to bring it into an online context, a very interesting circumstance is uh, there's a fellow who tweeted something about the former Prime Minister of Canada, um, Stephen Harper, and he wrote about how uh, his comments actually triggered a, a, an army of bots that had been purchased <laughs> by. By the Canadian Conservative government's communications team, presumably. And so they actually had this army of bots that um, once it was triggered, they started uh, attacking his his social media stream. And at first he was really hurt because he thought they were real people. But then he started actually checking out the profiles of mm-hmm. these people and realized these are bots. And I thought that that was a very interesting case mm-hmm. in which uh, – these bots are being used to sort of stifle political dissent and then of course you also have the general phenomenon of of you know i have this many followers on this platform and really actually like 10,000 of them are mm. bots that you purchased mm. for 5 5 pounds yeah and so what does that say that actually bots are being purchased in order to gain social cultural Mm. capital as Mm. well so it is really interesting these sorts of things um in the online world as well and they they're not the exaggerated versions of you know john connor versus the terminator Mm. and and that sort of thing they're actually already a part of our culture in these really strange ways um you know, in terms of economics, because I mean, followers determine mm-hmm. your influence, but mm-hmm. then also politics as well. So
4: I'm going to complicate that another step, which let's is that it. Yeah. <laughs> <So> there <laughs> are, so there are bots uh, using Twitter as a primary example because that's the one that I know. Um, there are bots on Twitter that they have programmed to follow certain, um, basically main people and, and certain, you know, they'll, they'll follow the bot of uh, McDonald's, let's just say, yeah. um, as an example. And so then, but then you'll have the other, person that they started following is another bot. And so you end up having a network of bots communicating with each mm-hmm. other on an online platform. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So you end up having, you talk about it as them, the robots kind of interacting with Humans, but they're also interacting with each other on yeah. social social. That's, yeah. that's how it <laughs>
5: starts. And that's how it starts. Let machines realize they don't need us at all. Yeah. Let them focus on Kanye West Twitter feed while we take over the world. Well,
2: yeah, just to build off on that, like, like one of the interesting sci-fi examples is Automa, in which because like sci-fi regularly goes with the AI will uh, rise up against us. But the interesting thing about Automa is that the first AI ever creates uh, gets bored with humanity and just refuses to communicate Mm. um with them but then also that film also raises some interesting uh questions in terms of uh our relationships and there's a there's a certain religious element to it in terms of how people react to bots and treat Mm. them as servants but also building on what you were just saying i mean are we going to see a proliferation of religions using bots as a means of reaching out to Mm. the wider community Mm. like Why send out a missionary when you can send out a bot Mm -hmm. to do it for you? Mm
1: like go into George's work with the the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yesterday he was talking about how they, you know, buy themselves time in a sense by standing on street corners. So if you got a bot and programmed it yeah. to do it for you, would that be doing But that's, doing that's your,
3: not actually new. Yeah. It sounds incredibly new, but you look back to some of the earliest temple cultures in the Middle East and people yeah. would leave small statues, what they think. They don't entirely know. Archaeologists think they left small statues to be there praying for them when they had to go off and work and do other things. Mm. So this idea of replacement, self-replacement in the tasks that are too onerous has, has and religious tasks included, has a long background, but it's just that tipping point of whether we replace the onerous tasks and it gets to a point where actually the non-onerous tasks are replaced as well and we find ourselves perhaps without a job, which is a slight concern in yeah. certainly some fields. <laughs>
4: Yeah. I did well, almost yeah. make
3: a student cry the other day, because I pointed out that law, in fact, is actually easily replaceable by artificial intelligence, because it's all precedence-based, <laughs> and she was <laughs> applying to university to study law. Uh, dream killer. Dream killer. Yeah, d- yeah, I dream. am the dream killer.
2: Well, yeah, but then this also becomes like uh, AI, because this feeds into some of your research, particularly on the transhumanist mm. L- uh, front, in terms of AI as being a sort of becoming a goal of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how, like, how is that kind of filtering out? Because, yeah, if, if you, if you explain a little bit about the transhumanists first, just for yeah. anyone who is not aware of them. Yeah. And then also, because I don't think we really touched on this, is like how other religious groups have reacted to the transhumanism
3: so transhumanism broadly is uh the idea that through science and technology we can achieve a higher level of evolution primarily described in terms of eradication of suffering uh, longevity of life increased intelligence and you know move to a more superior human being through science and technology and there's various variations on that um, but in terms of artificial intelligence, they tend to pick up on ideas of mind uploading, uh, coexistence with cyber consciousness to become part of a sort of hive mind perhaps as well or the suggestion that if we developed a superintelligence it may be able to solve some of these problems that we have like at the already at the moment you know uh, artificial intelligence is being employed in the treatment of cancer um there's a program working with the NHS on diagnosis so the way in which technology can make our lives better to, and the kind of more extreme version of that is a sort of superhuman version of ourselves produced through science and technology
2: i'm going to actually i'm going to direct the second half of that question that i asked to michael because that kind of like now, now that we've got the transhumanist notion like how do christians respond to that that presumably because that presents an ethical issue of sorts
5: well i i don't know if i can speak for you know <laughs> quote unquote
2: yeah, christians, <laughs> people, yeah.
5: I, what, what this is I,
2: religious studies we like our grand <laughs> sweeping generalizations.
5: Yeah. but what i what i would say beth and i were actually talking about this might have been yesterday or the day before but one of the things that you find in transhumanist discourses are actually uh, goals or what I think from a religious or theological standpoint you could describe as eschatologies or telos, that, mm-hmm. that though they might not describe themselves as uh, religions proper, they do actually use language that seems to suggest that it is a religion insofar as uh, you know, however you want to define religion, um, most religions have some sort of idea about what is going to happen in the future and what our role or what humanity's role uh, is in making that happen. And so when you look at a lot of transhumanist uh, explanations of what they believe or what they're doing or even artificial intelligence, there actually is a clear eschatology of we're working towards this definitive point in the future and through that or reaching that and working towards that some sort of consciousness is going to be achieved uh some sort of eternal life or at least extension of life is going to be achieved humanity is going to be able to move beyond where it is now these sorts of things and so i think that's where actually the religious element has uh a lot of influence, or it, it, that's mm-hmm. where it hits the ground where we can start viewing it as a religion, in that it, it has a certain eschatology. Uh,
3: and if you get us into theories of the singularity, which is this kind of critical mass point of intelligent, artificial intelligence that then just kind of in some interpretations is a mind fire that explodes across the universe, subsuming all other intelligences within it. In others, it's a bit more contained than that, but the ways in which future tech focus groups are, or singularitarians, if you want to call them that are describing this moment, it becomes an entity. And in some cases, they ascribe motivations to the superintelligence and what what it will want, how it will want us to behave, how it will treat us as a lesser being. I mean, the comparison they make is sometimes between us and ants, difference of uh, intelligence and um, imposing nature. Um And yeah, some of those those descriptions are very religious to my mind. Like, you know, they won't use the word God, but it sounds...
5: <laughs> like yeah, <it> sounds, sounds <laughs> Beth, Beth is being a little bit hesitant yeah, about going but to all when that. you describe
3: but a supreme being. Yeah, yeah. okay.
5: Well, then I, it takes on a, a mythological component because mm-hmm. then it—I mean, it, then it almost see to me, then it sounds almost like Norse demigods, right? Like mm-hmm. we're becoming demigods or titans or this sort of thing. So,
2: well, yeah, I, I'm going to now, you know, now that we've brought in the mythology, I'm going to direct <laughs> this to uh, Vivian because particularly for me and Beth, our our, our engagements with the transhumanists may be a little bit centric around certain persons, but then that raises the question of how prolific the transhumanist motion is and who's actually engaging in the mythos of transhumanism or similar related movements, which kind of speaks to the kind of research that you do.
4: Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, with the connection to mythology is because I look at the way that storytelling exists online and, Um, It ends up questioning a lot of uh, definitions of mythology, which I'm not going to get into because that's a whole nother roundtable discussion. (laughs) Um, What's this space? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, basically, um, when you start looking at the way that people tell stories online, it plays with a lot of ideas of uh, knowledge. Um, Transhumanism, I haven't come across to that much, but I also haven't been looking for it. Mm. Um, But So that's uh, kind of a different uh, environment. But there is a lot of uh, playing with knowledge and intelligence in the matter of um, kind of exploring the known versus the unknown uh, in their forms of storytelling. Um, And because it's the online environment, you can do storytelling through images um, very easily. And a lot of these images are therefore photoshopped or manipulated in some way. So that idea of knowledge is, again, kind of uh, reiterated in the fact that you could be looking at something that's not inherently quote unquote real.
3: Yeah. I think what is quite interesting, the overlap that we haven't really talked about much, but is in storytelling, storytelling for the purpose of producing fear. Yes. So, which is definitely relevant to your work, but what I've also looked at is some of the narratives about what the singularity will want and how it will behave. And, uh, I mean, it's too complicated to go into it in too much depth, but there, there are some ideas that suggest the future singularity will punish those who haven't brought it about through, um, mm replication and simulation kind of like a matrix style world and that has had a definite on some portions of the community online had a definite fear effect where if you even hear about this suggestion you're trapped into a loop of having to work towards the creation of the artificial intelligence because you know about it now and it can punish you in the future um, So I think that's really fascinating. That it's So are
2: we all now screwed?
3: Yeah, sorry. Every time I present on this, I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I'm now going to tell you something <laughs> well, that's that, going to that doom you.
4: That is inherently connected to a lot of the fear um that is created in the storytelling that I'm specifically looking at yeah. um, tends to kind of be focused on the idea of being trapped within... Mm-hmm. Um, basically an inability to move socially speaking um, and you're you're inherently trapped in being both silenced and unable to represent yourself socially mm. um, and so you're kind of and you're unable to move um, within that context so that idea of being trapped in a lot of different ways yeah. is, is definitely the main source of fear at least from what i've found so far
2: well yeah this kind of starts to speak to the kind of stuff that I do because part of the reason I like that I talk about this notion of personhood is also about the who you decide are persons has a consequence for the kind of reality you live in as a result of that. So yeah, and the the, the deciding whether AI are persons or not. Has massive consequences. So, if you have the artificial intelligence that says no, if you did not help bring me about, you are no longer a person. I mean, and that's mm. what—that's also what's fascinating about this is the the idea that not only are we, we we asking the question whether AI is a person, but then all of a sudden you may have AI asking the question of whether we
5: mm. are persons. Yeah, and and even in terms of if AI is you know intelligent sort of robots become a reality in everyday reality is the best term used to, de- would the best term be used to describe them? Would it be, would it be a person or, I mean, just it, it, it's interesting because d- if we describe them as person, is that what guarantees their rights mm-hmm. or uh, sort of identity? Is it possible to actually say, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be considered a person in order to be granted certain, sort of treatments, right? So that there's, I think a lot of discussion to be had there is, I mean, do we necessarily want to force the term person, however we define that onto a, a sort of sentient machine? Or do we want to actually be thoughtful about how, how would we define this or how would it define itself? How would it describe itself? Um, I
3: suppose historically you could say that the closer we have allowed people to be described as persons, the more rights we give them. Sure. So obviously animal rights. Yeah. And historically our relationship with various different racial groups Mm -hmm. and women mm-hmm. as well, when yeah. women and children and children. I mean, this is, yeah. we have precedent for understanding how this relationship might go and maybe we should learn historical lessons yeah. before we actually get to a point where we have ubiquitous intelligent robots living with us yeah. potentially Definitely. and think about, do we want to treat them as a race is not the right word as a, as a grouping that we treat poorly because we've decided they should do work
2: yes all the time i mean yeah just to build on that i'll finish i'll try and start wrapping things up by going to a joke because like one of the (laughs) i I, when i presented when i first started talking about like the philosophy uh philosophical anthropology in the science fiction cases one of the uh, questions i got was what's this to do with robots and to which i responded well it's not necessarily just about robots so to build on the example of animals i told this story about how when i had a dog the dog would do a poo and would look at me and I would get like, it was like this look of embarrassment. So I would turn my back <laughs> so that the dog, like I wasn't looking at the dog, but in that respect, like that's giving pers- attributing personhood yeah. to that dog of being within my dog's social construction of reality mm. that when she does her business, that is not something to be observed. And this is what mm. I think is really fascinating about the concept of AI in general is that it makes us also question other things that we've kind of taken for granted yeah. for a long Time as well.
3: And just to pop back quickly to the Turing test, which yep. I always say is deeply flawed and no one should really bother citing it, but. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, in part, my bad. <laughs> in, some ways, in some ways, even the question of intelligence is irrelevant because we as humans will impute intelligence or not intelligence on other things. So we would never possibly be able to prove. And in artificial intelligence is a genuine intelligence because we don't have a proof of genuine intelligence anyway. anyway. We yeah. always assume everyone is human beings are conscious and other things are less conscious. Mm-hmm. No political comments from the Americans, please. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so people will have noticed that my voice dropped out for a while there as I was doing some policing, but I was listening, <laughs> and this could go on uh, forever. But just for the benefit of our listeners, who might want to pick up on some of your research afterwards. Um, where can they Where can they find you? Are you on Twitter? Anyone? I'm always on Twitter. If you am had one, I'm one, a one, one online presence <laughs> that people could go to to find your work. Where would it be, uh, Michael?
5: Yeah, uh, Twitter. Twitter is a great place to to meet me. So M C H L M O R E L L I at Twitter. righty. Maybe?
4: Um, I actually have a website that has a link to my Twitter and academia page and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I'm going to selfishly, uh, direct okay. people towards my website, which is god-mode.org. Wonderful. Love it.
3: Uh, uh, Twitter at bvl singler. It's probably the best one. Or oh, there's at Faraday underscore AI, but is a bit more active. Okay. It's better bot. Yeah, and a bit it's, you. <laughs> it's actually me. Well, they're the both part. me.
2: Yeah. They're both me. It's and just Jonathan, what was your presence? Uh Send a pigeon. It will probably know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you've been listening to the Religious Studies Project. Thank you, everyone.
1: Good night, morning, whatever time of day is, wherever you are. <laughs> and thanks
5: for listening. Thanks.
1: Did you enjoy hearing that podcast, David? Very much so. Yeah, very
0: much good, so. good, good, very good it was too.
1: We're bringing the beard back to the Religious Studies Project next week in the form of Brad Stoddard's awesome beard. Um, he's been speaking with Finbar Curtis about um religious freedom in America, some theoretical considerations. And so we, we know that if Brad puts the word theoretical in the title, um, it's a sure winner. Um, as are all of brad's
0: interviews indeed and and it's the first you're going to be hearing from quite a few interviews by brad this year as he recorded a rake of them at the aar this year so we're going to spread them out um so you don't get too you know (laughs) overbradded exactly (laughs) um there's a sort of meme about cat
1: breading isn't there i wonder if there's one about overbradding um Brad is also one of the exec committee officers for Nasser, uh, and these uh, podcasts should also be seen in some ways showcasing Nasser, who are one of our generous sponsors, as, along with the British Association for the Study of Religions and the International
0: Association for the History of Religions. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Nasser. Indeed. Um as ever, if you want to support the project, you can do so by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links. It really does make a big difference. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Google+, apparently. Um, you can go to our YouTube page, which is growing all the time, starting to take off. And you can com- uh, join the conversation at the website and leave a comment or a question Um it, in response to this or any other hmm. episode, yeah, the comments have been starting to get a
1: little more lively on the yeah. website, and by little, you know, we're we're talking, you know,
0: um, a smidgen, as you might say. But uh, we'd love to hear from you, and and um, you can of of course also email us at editors at religiousstudiesproject dot com, and if you send us an interesting comment or question, we might read it out on air. Wouldn't that be nice? But um, other than that, the only thing left to say is.